Yeah, I don't think they snapped their cranks, but I think they bent them into a banana <laughs> shape, both of them. <laughs> In a year that has provided us with so much uncertainty, the one thing you can bank on is that Half Wheeling will go balls in to give you some bloke at the pub wisdom. We've reveled in the racing that has taken place. We have our favourites, we have our heroes and our villains, and now we are bloody well back again with you for another episode of Half Wheeling. Here to take a learned view with me is my co-host and road captain of the podcast, Scott Barrow. Welcome, Scotty. Thank you very much, Ross. That was one hell of a intro, like a really, really good one there. Yeah, good for it you. Almost needed for like music backing it, didn't it? Like it was at times dramatic yeah. and, and at times, admittedly, quite yeah. clumsy. But we did get there eventually. Now, we're like we've got our intro music, which is unrivaled. But maybe we need a, like just a different sort of a mood music following straight in. You know, underlying your intro there. Oh, mood music. Yeah, that's. Your mood, um, feel me. Oh, yeah, I am. I am. I'll tell you what I was in the mood for. A Deronde van Vlaanderen on Sunday Fuck. night just gone. Is that the best race you've ever seen? Tour of Flanders is the best race ever I've ever seen, and that was one hell of a race for so many reasons. The clash that had us salivating actually eventuated, mate, and what an <laughs> alpha off this race was. Like, there was two big dogs, and it was just mm. absolutely sensational. The Cyclocross boys, Coolangatta Gold, Vanderpoel, mm. and Wout Van Aert, they just bloody wow, duked man. it out for yeah. however many Ks. Hey, well, I don't know when they eventually came together, when um, the drama queen, Philippe ran straight into the back of a moto, but it was an epic, epic finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I think it was around about 35 k's where they sort of – well, no, that was when Alaphilippe hit the moto, so maybe around about 40 k's. Yeah, and I was uh, – I don't know about you, Ross, but I was thinking about Alaphilippe, and obviously he was being talked about, and he read off film and a shit-hot racer anyway, and he just knows how to race his bike no matter what, right? And he came at a cyclocross, so he's got adaptability, and we've seen how he does. He's not afraid, and he's responsive. But I did wonder whether – he would be able to have the type of physical characteristics required at that type of racing, you know, up the cobbled climbs. And you've got to be able to sit in the saddle up those climbs, you know what I mean? So they're high power, high torque sitting in the saddle climbs because especially if they're wet, but it wasn't wet. Do you know what I mean? I was just yep. wondering if that type of big-ass power is what was going to let Philippe into the race. You look at it, Scotty, so – he was obviously there just on pure talent. He gets into that three-man yep. selection, yep. doesn't he? Just because he's that good and he makes good decisions and yep. he shows some balls and he has a crack. Um, there were times where he's a little bit susceptible, which gets to what you're speaking about. There was a time where I think you remember he just went off the edge a little bit um, on one of the cobble climbs. With it. I'm not sure whether it was mm-hmm. the Koppenberg mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. uh, not the Koppenberg, but one of those bergs that he was going up yeah. that he's cobbled. And um, I think the commentators made a bit of a point that his life frame might have actually helped him not going yeah, over. That's right. He unclipped, didn't he? Unclipped yeah. one foot. Yeah, and he was able to kick it on pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's a little bit of an anomaly that he was able to do that and be in that selection, as we said, by pure artistry that he's got. But mm. it certainly does favour those heavier riders. There's, there's no question about that. Yeah, and so, yes, yeah, so just to go back to that Alaphilippe just slightly, I was wondering, yeah, was he going to be able to do it? And 
when he crashed, there were still five more climbs, so we don't know. We'll never know what had happened. But to me, I was watching him, and I know you know he went off the edge on that climb you mentioned. But to me, he seemed to be going up those climbs. Um, the strongest out of all of them. He seemed to be going up there the easiest. He was sort of, I know he's twitchy anyway, but he's sort of looking around. He seemed light on his bike. He wasn't hunching up the shoulders overly. To me, he looked the strongest at that point, but we'll never know. But yeah, it was phenomenal. And, you know, everyone who's ever raced that race, they all say the same thing. There's so much to know about that race, about the the twists and turns and the positioning. And, you know, you want to be here before you get to this point so you don't have to go on the footpath and blah, 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 blah. And there he is. He's not He's not only in the selection, he's forcing the moves. He jumped out once, then jumped out again. He made the race. You know, he made the race. So, he does that so well, doesn't he, Scotty? He just amazing. at the right time, he has the ability to just go. And when he goes, it's mm. not a half-hearted effort. If he's going half-hearted, it's just to maybe test the legs a bit, see who's interested. But mm. he's in it for, for the win every single time yeah. he makes a decision. I'm interested, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about, and it probably leads to his crash. You said that there's a lot of things happening when he's riding. There's a lot of moving parts, and he's really fidgety, and he's looking around, and he's waving to the camera, and all those sorts of things. Do you think that might have played a part in the actual accident that he had? Because he, he just um, he never seems settled, and he's he's always distracted by something that's going on, or or just yeah. um, there's fucking shitloads happening with him. Yeah, so um, this is not not intending to blame him or the motor because I think it was just for me. I think it was just an unfortunate accident. But do, do I think that had had an effect? Yes, I do. Look, they were bloody riding on their threshold at that point. They're two hundred k's in a race. It's it's on. They're trying to you know they're trying to establish the gap. And then obviously Vanderpol only pulled away from the moto at the last minute as well. So was it a, a shocking accident? Yeah, it was. Was he to blame? No. Does his attention the way the way he does racing could it contribute? Yeah, I reckon for sure. He just seems. I don't think easily distracted is the term, but he's just got a lot going on and, and yes. fidgety, as you mentioned, is probably the best way to describe it. But to talk about his crash and as dramatic as it was, and as much of that he made out of it. Oh my god, I've never seen a bloke writhing on the ground. And just, I, you think he just had a look around and thought, "Oh, fuck you beauty, the camera's here." Oh, <laughs> oh god. Well, like I say, choose your pick of your poison because. You know, that same emotion that allows him to have a crack and really go for it, you know, is the same one that comes out, you know, when he's broken hand. Yeah, for sure. Even the way it was lying on the ground like a splattered <laughs> starfish there for a while. <laughs> oh, it's just an interesting sort of a, a setup. I thought he was about to die. He was rolling you know, rolling around <laughs> on the ground. And I thought, shit, we're going to have a death in the Tour of Flanders. But um, yeah, it's just the broken hand. So he did well to um, survive it. And he is yeah. the drama queen. And they go hand in hand, like you said. We take the good with the bad. But yeah, yeah. to talk about his crash, Scotty, is to take away mm-hmm. how epic it was to see these two big dogs just going at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After Van Aert had to bridge. Do you remember when he Van Aert had to bridge across to Alaphilippe and Van der Poel at one point? Mm-hmm. Ended up being the move that did get away and, and was the decisive move. Yeah. I've just got a bit of a theory that I think when Van Aert eventually went across, which took probably 15, 20 seconds, maybe even a little bit longer, I reckon mm. that took a fair bit out of Van Aert. And ultimately, mm-hmm. in such a, a close finish, that might have been the decisive factor. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, it was probably the first time I've seen him looking gassed. 
all season. Like yeah, he's always right. ridden without any real emotion and seemingly not breathing. And I reckon he banged down about six gels in five Ks at one point. <laughs> I've never seen a his guts would have been rot. The shit he would have done that next day would have been all time with all those gels he had. Yeah, and he didn't have time to care, did he? He just had to go. He just had to go. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good pickup. Yeah, he did he did close that gap himself. It'd be, yeah, it'd be great to ask him. You know, do you feel like that influenced anything? Mm. You'd probably have a look at what he's done this season. As condensed it was, and he's packed a lot in. It's been a long, albeit successful season for him. But he might be just a bit tired in the end. Yeah, he's, yeah he's absolutely been racing pretty hard, and, and particularly the one day races, the ones he goes in, he's expected to win or, or at least be right in the mix. So maybe a little bit of fatigue might have set in too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so they got they got up the hill. Vanderpol tends to you know drop the head, throw the shoulders around a little bit when he's climbing hard and fast. Yep. Whereas Van Aert's just like the Death Star, just strong and steady and just relentless. And then yeah, coming in from the sprint, what did you think of that? You know, as they were coming in, what, what were your thoughts? What were you noticing? Well, I was hoping like, well, shit, that the bunch wasn't going to catch them for a moment. They were yeah, just yeah. doing a little bit of uh, stalling there. But I just had that in my mind that Van Art looked a bit fatigued and I thought Van Der Poel can, yeah, just muscle his way through. And look, it wasn't much in the end, but did seem to muscle his way to the line in the end. It was just fantastic to watch. Those mm. two, two alpha, as I said, two alpha buddy cyclocross boys who don't like each other a hell of a lot, I don't think. I think mm. there's respect there, but not a lot of friendship. Yeah, was fucking epic, Scotty. Yeah, they've been competing against each other for about 10 years since they were 12, you know, at the highest level of every age group. The thing is that even though Van Aert um, won some sprints recently and he's in incredible form, Van der Poel pretty much wins all the sprints to the line in, in cyclocross. Van, Van der Poel will always win them. So he's yep. got that little bit more explosiveness. Now, of course, at the end of 240 Ks, it, you know, it's, it can be a bit of a lottery, but it was still pretty impressive. Van der Poel, you know, sprinting from the front and being able to hold off Van Art like it was still bloody. <laughs> As we know, it was like only a quarter of a wheel, wasn't it? So yeah. it was pretty incredible. It was pretty incredible stuff. Yeah. Further to my point about Van Art being a bit gassed, I'm not sure whether you recall on most of those climbs towards the end, I'm pretty sure Vanderpoel set the pace up those climbs. Do you recall that, Scotty? I'm, I'm pretty sure that Van Art just let him Especially sit. the last few. Yeah, and I tempo think, it up. I think for that, yeah, that's right. I think he was just happy to let yeah let Vanderpoel set the pace. Yeah, I think definitely for the last few. And you know, again, they're not Vanderpoel's not afraid to really put everything into it. You know what I mean? Like he really puts everything he's got into the pedal stroke. Isn't he? He's not trying to sort of pace himself, is he? He's, he's so fit that he doesn't have to pace himself. Our boy cooling out of gold. Never, never has there been a more apt nickname than the one mm. that we've dubbed him cooling out of gold. The big shoulders in the Alperson yeah. Phoenix jersey. It's yeah. just, oh, what a human being. You know, he has done this a few times last year at Amstel, I remember, and this race, you know, the White Knicks. Yes. On, yeah. On, you know, cooling out of gold's White Knicks. Um, look, he's the only one that can get away with it. I'm not a massive fan. He's probably hung like a rogue elephant, so he can probably just get away with these sorts of things. And you've got to be at the top of your game. If you, It's a little bit like if you go back a few years in terms of footballers when they started to wear white boots. It's a little bit like you want to be able to get a kick there, mate. And, you know, it's similar with the white Knicks. You want to be good, and he is. So he's able to pull that off. Yeah. So you want to have some good form and good ability to wear, but also you want a shit-hot washing machine too. Because I can't just be a – like, you know, I can't just be – a little bit white. They've got to be friggin' freshly minted white, don't they? In fact, he probably pulls on a new pair each time anyway. 
That's um, important, isn't it? It's it is. Critical. Well, it's it's everything, really, when it's all yeah. said and done. Um, so the white nicks, no gloves for Vanderpoel, forget about it. Yep, he knew it yep. was a dry day. Hard Doesn't man. Matter. Hard man. Yeah. The good thing about this, Scotty, is that, and it goes for all the classics, we don't have to wait 12 months for them to come around again. All that being well, good. we get the European spring and they're on in eight months, possibly less. So it's, yeah. We should send a text message to Wout Van Aert reminding him of that right now. You know, hey, don't worry about it, Wout. You know, it's going to be happening in a few months' time. Yeah, like, yeah. Take out weekends. It's pretty much like, you know, a couple of months away, mate. You'll be, you know, you'll be right. Yeah, you're fired up. you excited. <laughs> Fuck off. We also had mm. Ghent Wevelgem a little while ago. That seems yeah. like an eternity ago because we've been so swept up in Tour of Flanders. But Ghent Wevelgem was also a pretty handy race too. What was your thoughts yeah. on that race? Uh, it was just an unbelievably good race. Like it for me, it was almost as good as the Flanders race. Like it, it was just a classic Belgian classic race. And they went up. What was it? The Camelberg, and there was the, the group out in front, and they were twenty had twenty seconds on on Cool and Gatter Gold and Wout Van Aert, and they just closed it. You know, in half the climb, they just went straight up to them. They just blew everyone away. Then there's a you know there's there's a like a group of what was it, about about eight or nine in the, in the last twenty k's, and yes, there was a tax going off everywhere. Stefan Kung tried a time trial away. He just got brought back smoothly by a well-cooperating bunch of eight and then all sorts of attacks. And then, you know, there's all that talk about uh, Wout Van Aert and Kulungata Gold marking each other out. And while that did occur right there at the very end, personally, I, I don't think that was why neither of them got the result. I personally felt that Kulungata Gold wasn't quite strong enough to rate. He was just hanging on in that last 10Ks when they were doing stuff. Yes, he closed a few moves, but normally he can close it and then still be in a position to be tactical. So he, he wasn't at his strongest. Wout was incredibly strong. He bridged across, he closed moves, he attacked, and then he one time he closed a move, and then as the attack went off again, he went first wheel again to get on the back of the wheel. I just reckon Wout was so strong in that race, he used too much strength. And then at the end, when it really mattered that the last minute when there was a last couple of moves he just had nothing left i don't reckon it was an automatic exclusive case of those two marking each other out completely yeah i think you're right in terms of the vanderpoel situation he probably wasn't on a real good day and he was trying to hang on and if you're going to hang on to anyone try and hang on to van art so it probably yeah. looked like they were marking each other and cancelling each other out but Van Art was, you know, Van Art. He, he just had a crack at everything. And was it up the Kimmelberg? I mentioned the Kimmelberg before. It was the wrong bloody race. But when they were both climbing that uh, cobble climb, I thought they were both going to snap their cranks. They were going up there. That, like Van Art averaged 800 watts up that climb. Yeah. That it was just and that's good. Yeah, he averaged 800. What is it like? A, I can't. I don't know exactly, but I was like two and a half minutes or three minutes or something yep. like that. Like that. Yeah, I don't think they snapped their cranks, but I think they bent them into a banana shape. Both of them. <laughs> Fucking just taking the piss, mate. You have to do those climbs uh, with a little bit more torque. You can't do it on pure cadence because yep. you need the the slower, slightly slower traction to, to be effective up those climbs, especially if it's wet, which they weren't. They might have been a bit damp, but unbelievable. I would strongly recommend to anyone who's into road racing, just watch the last 35Ks of Ghent Wevelgem of 2020. It's, it's just what racing is about for me. It's like it doesn't get much better, to be honest. Yeah. Scott, if we had only two classics per year and they were as yeah. good as Ghent Wevelgem and Tour oh, of Flanders, we'd be very, shit, yeah. very fans, wouldn't we? 
Yeah, absolutely. And then that takes us onto the other race, Brabant's Prix, where Julian Alaphilippe uh, won in a sprint against Kulangata Gold and uh, the French bloke. I can't even remember his name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He didn't win. So Julian Alaphilippe just edged out Vanderpol, Kulangata Gold at the line. Yep. And that yep. was the race that the year before Vanderpol had won and he beat Tim Wellens. Julian Alaphilippe and Michael Matthews. So some gun riders in that. So that was um that was another great race. That was fascinating to watch what was going on in the last 20 or 30 cases. Just like the camera panned out back in a straight stretch of road. It was like 600 metres of road. Yeah. And it was like five groups tearing down. <laughs> That's it. The, the race just gets ripped to shreds by those little cobbled steep climbs. It's freaking unreal to watch. It's so entertaining. It's the greatest shit mixer ever, isn't it? Those cobbled climbs. They just sort it out. (laughs) They just sort it out. Can you cast your mind back to that final sprint? Now, I think after watching it a few times, that was a bit of a tactical error by Vanderpoel. I think if you were to talk about them two head-to-head in a sprint, you'd back Vanderpoel nearly every time. I reckon there was a tactical error by him. I think he wanted Alaphilippe's wheel, and when Alaphilippe come alongside him and he didn't keep going, it threw Vanderpoel out, and he wasn't quite sure how to approach it after that and probably left his run too late. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, exactly. Because he was coming. So another 20 metres and he would have gone in front of Alaphilippe, which is obviously the name of the game. Yeah, the the French guy. Yeah, um, I think he was in the tour. uh, Cosnefoy. Benoit Cosnefoy. Thank you. Yeah, thank Good one, Ross. Um, Yeah, Cosnefoy. So he was at the front. Kilungala Gold, Vanderpoel's second wheel, and Alaphilippe was third wheel. Alif- and like you say, Alaphilippe came around a bit earlier because he probably knew he had to, and then was sort of sprinting. And so the speed was building up at that point. And Vanderpoel, it seemed to me, we didn't get an aerial view, but he seemed to me almost like ready to go, but sort of he was sort of boxed in by Alaphilippe. Yeah. So they're almost like sprinting at, say, 90% speed, but Vanderpoel couldn't launch. Yep. until Alaphilippe went around Cosnefoy and then by that stage when Kulangata Gull went, then he didn't have enough time to get round Alaphilippe. So yep. hopefully people can visualise that because I think that's a decent <laughs> that's a decent breakdown and analysis. I, I, I think that's probably um, would get you your own cycling analysis show, <laughs> Scotty, actually, the way You're you right, explain so that. Maybe, maybe I could start a podcast called The Half Wheeler. <laughs> So, you know, just, oh, just here we one. are. We're seven episodes in and he's trying to get his own show. Like, this I'm, is I'm feeling pretty scandalous. good. Scandalous. Still in the, yeah, I'm in the final selection. My legs are feeling good at the last time. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, but the, again, watch that race. Brabant's pre, the last 20, 30 Ks, shit going everywhere. You know, one other thing, mate. Um, did you notice Mikhail Kwiatkowski, yep. Team Ineos? Did you, do you remember him in that race? in those last 25, 30 Ks. I do. He went to the front at one stage, and I'm not sure he he didn't have the legs in the end. I think he might have just Mm. blown up. Is that correct? I think that might have been the race. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He um, was at the front in an earlier bit, and then he um, they went up the climb, and he got gapped a bit. And then he was then bridge. He had to bridge across a couple of times, and took his time. He was sort of in that the last selection. But I just I don't know. I I feel like maybe he's a bit older. Who knows? Things change, but. I, I see him as someone who should be right up there with those guys in those races. I know he's been an incredible super domestique in the Grand Tours, you know, through the Froome era. 
But I feel like that's almost like a waste for him. I feel like he's better than that. He needs to have that one day sharpness as opposed to that three week sort of endurance and sustained power to sit on the climbs. Because I know he's been incredible as a domestique for Froome. Like there's a couple of tools there where he was best on ground, mate. Three votes yeah. every time. Yeah. But I feel like, oh man, somehow I, I just hope they can sort of freshen him up because I think he's better than just a really shit hot domestique. I think he knows how to race and he know, but he just hasn't got that last five percent that the other guys have got now he's only fucking 29 or something so he's still got plenty left i think i don't know maybe we need to put in a little bit of a call to darth brailsford and just see what he reckons well we could have a word to darth and maybe do you think it's a preparation thing so he's preparing for grand tours not so much preparing for classics so in all likelihood if he did prepare for classics he's right in the mix and he's up there with the big dogs yeah no i think it's exactly that especially you know obviously with the reputation that ineos have where they go all in in their preparation for specific targets as opposed to traditional traditionally racing you sort of do it all you know even if you go back to the bloody eddie merckx here they they did every race you know almost like a a valverde approach so definitely so that's sort of what i'm getting at I reckon I don't know what I don't know what his attitude is. Maybe he's just happy doing that, but I just think he he could be you know in that last four or five guys most of the time in some of these races. As you mentioned, we do have a line to Darth Brailsford, so we may be able to get this to happen. And that mm. is probably a good time to put the call out to our listeners. You know, if you've got any questions that you'd like us to um, forward on to Darth, by all means, send them in, and we'll have a bit of a chat to him. Yeah, because he he's taken the helmet off. He's sort of revealed himself, hasn't he, Darth? Mm. Darth Brailsford. Mm. He's starting to open up. He's he wants to be. He wants to give more to the fans, to the oh, people like us. Yeah, I think that the empire is just starting to crumble a little bit. There's, there's shown. Some uh, chinks in the armour, Scotty. So, yeah, maybe um, Darth's just becoming a little bit more human as the the races tick by. Scotty, the Giro's been going on. Did you? Were you aware of that? (laughs) (laughs) We've had some ripping races, and this has actually been happening. I know we spoke about it in the last episode, but I tell you what, mate, it's just been like. We are the heroes. The people like us, we are the heroes. Don't worry about the dense racing schedule. Think about what it's doing to our riding, our well-being, our sleep, our recovery, our training and performance. We've got to watch all these races. And, you know, we can't keep our attention everywhere. And I've got to admit, I feel a bit of Giro guilt because, yes, I've watched plenty of stages, but always stuff going on in that race. Always, always, always. And it hasn't had the attention it deserved from, certainly not from me, because of these other bloody brilliant one-offs. So I'm feeling the Giro guilt a little bit, but I've kept my finger on the pulse a little bit as well. How about you? Have you been able to sort of keep the the surveillance happening? Look, I I do feel as if I've neglected it a fair bit. I don't have Giro guilt as much because in all likelihood, the Giro owes me. I don't owe it anything Um, at the end of the day. You know, I've given it my full attention over the years. So 2020's been crazy year scotty um we can't like you said we can't be everywhere mate that question about Giro guilt you've just done a trump there you've just totally dismissed it it owes me and then you've just fact you know it's it's, there's factors outside of our control it's been a tremendous tremendous year i can't control this you as well as anyone should know as that it's all about me all right (laughs) this is about me but how about we call this the covid affected Giro? it's been swamped by it like we've had Mm. coat hanger crows like getting Mm. had to be pulled out Michael Matthews mm. pulled out. Mitchell and Scott, they just mm. banished them from the whole thing. Yeah, they're gone. Like all, all the big guns. Not gone. all the big guns, but gone. quite a few of them. Yeah, and um, with that, 
the others are making it count too because there's shit going on. Even top 10 GC's been shuffled like a deck of cards every friggin' day. Hasn't it's it? just classic duo with the weather and the incredible parkours. It's just epic stuff is going on. And since our last episode, gold member did win the TT. Again, so he, again, he, again, he's going well. The gold member, but a bloke who's dominated this Giro without doubt won stage four, six, seven, and eleven to date is Arno Demar. Yes, far out, eh? Talk about form. Even before the Giro, he like had his best season ever. He won like mm-hmm. what nine races, yep. you know. Um, obviously, he had that fantastic um, national championships too, where he had a seventeen-man lead out. <laughs> and um, in remember that, yes. so F, Group Farmer FTJ Arno Demar team had 17 teammates in the national champs it was a 220k race and they you know they let him out from k1 yeah we discussed that so he couldn't lose but yeah so he's been incredible form hasn't he and then now he's just on a roll and you know what what would it be like ross in that team at the giro right now knowing that they've got the four stages what would it be like it'd be almost like look this is a flat stage we could win it but Gee, we don't want to look like we're we're arrogant. We don't want to keep winning, do we? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah let's have another crack at it, boys. It's <laughs> it's like, well, you know, some people may call it taking the piss, but they, they've sort of gone back to Scotty a bit of a HTC esque lead out mm. train, haven't they? It's yeah, a bit almost, of retro um, retro tactics. Yeah, not the one or two man lead out. One of them, mm. well, it does include Miles um, Scotts and the Aussie. He's part of mm. their lead out train, but it's mate, it's certainly bloody working. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one thing that we discussed, Ross, is, you know, his performance, Arno Demar, you know, he's getting the job done, obviously winners are grinners, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, when people get in a rich vein of form, you know, the performance is up, the confidence is up, they're so relaxed about everything. And also what you notice when those athletes are in that sort of mood, if you like, or mode or phase they also, um, you know, they're just a lot more, almost like the, the game's moving in slow motion around them because they're picking up all the, because their attention isn't, they're not focused on, you know, getting the result or needing to win or, you know, desperate to win. They're just doing what they're doing in the moment and that's taking them there. But the thing I notice is that yeah, when people start to win a lot, they get much more relaxed and that, and that allows their potential to come out. Do you remember, just to switch gears, Ross, do you remember when Barry Hall, who was playing in his last couple of years at the Western Bulldogs football team here in the uh, the Australian Rules Football League here in yep. Australia, yep. and remember he's four, he, he announced his retirement you know, like four weeks from the end of the season. And the next four weeks, he played out of his skin. Like, he was always a good player and he'd been pretty consistent overall, but he played better than ever in those last four weeks. So what is it about that when, you know, like Demana's winning, you just relax and it allows your full potential to come out. Oh, you know, Barry Hall's retiring, so he just relaxes and plays out of his skin. What is it about that? What's going on, do you reckon? It's interesting, Scotty, and we've spoken about it in past episodes and some people probably wonder what we're actually talking about when we we're talking about when you're on the bike and you're present and mm. yeah you know, this is as good an example as any the worries are taken out of it the stresses mm. are taken out of it you're actually giving yourself the opportunity to maybe take everything in um, the little things mm. you know just appreciating it and knowing that what you've done so far and the best that you can give is going to be enough and so that mm. outside stress and self-talk well the self-talk's positive um, and the mm. stresses are, yeah. are not really there are they yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. So I feel like, yeah, like let's keep it to Demar then. Him and his team have won four stages, so everyone relaxes. And then that, by being relaxed and confident, 
and still keen on winning some more stages if they can. You know, they've got to still be motivated and hungry. You've got to have that drive. But as soon as they relax, that almost increases the chance of them winning more and being even better. So their potential comes out. So the question I have is, do you think it's possible that you can have that relaxedness without having the victories beforehand? Can you be relaxed and at your potential to perform oh. well without having needing the track record? Good question, Is that, isn't it? What are your thoughts? Well, I think to a degree you can, and it possibly can be dependent on what you view as success. Obviously, DeMar's team are getting the victory, but if you've competed and executed as well as you possibly can, as well as you expected to, I guess yeah. from that perspective, you can think, well, if we can continue on this path, continue in this vein of being set up well and executing yeah. the way we yeah. know how, eventually yeah. the result will go our way. So oh. I guess you can have an element of that without the actual victory. Mm. The victory mm. is the icing on the cake, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to deny the fact that, say, the riders might be capable of thinking that way, but, you know, they might be feeling pressure from their directors or teams or sponsors mm. or media or expectation, right? Mm. But in the end, you're still, you know, your best chance is where you don't feel that, where your attention is much more on doing everything you can do and not concerned about, is this going to work out? You know, are we going to get? Are we going to do all these good things over months, years, and days, and moments, and get the result? You've got to be able to just, yeah, you've just got to be able to focus in that moment, bring everything you've got to that moment without wondering or worried about, are the, is it going to give the result? So I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's something there, something there. You know, no, it's it's an interesting discussion, Scotty, and it's something we get back to a lot. That mental side of things and mm. mental tools that you can use mm. while you're in action in the heat of the moment. Yeah, uh, you can benefit from them. There was, there was actually a stage where they were working pretty hard to bring a break back. They worked hard and they end up pulling the pin uh, on it. Yep. Him and his lead-out team, yep. with about 30 k's to go, uh, realised mm. that they're going to let the break go. Now, that man in the break who took the win was none other mm. than Peter the Great, Peter Sagan. Mm. One stage mm-hmm. 10. It was his first win since last year's stage five on the Tour de France and his first ever mm. Giro win. This guy's a freak. We all know that. But if you mm. look at his Grand Tour record, Scotty, 17 wins, 30-plus mm. seconds, 30-plus thirds. Yep. I mean, there's not much more you can say about this guy. He's just a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. And by the way, before he even won this tour, he was still thereabouts as well. He was he was getting – he had multiple seconds in the sprints. So that's why he's great. It's not because of the results he gets. It's because he, he is prepared to race and bring and bring everything he's got to these races. That's why he's good. Like that's why – that's how he gets that. What did you say? He's, how many Grand Tour wins has he had? And, and seconds wins. and thirds? 17, 17 wins. wins. Yeah, 30 plus. Of, 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 uh, 30, I think it's about 39. Fucking hell. So yeah. 17 wins and 30 second places in Grand Tours. That's incredible. So talk about consistency. So, yeah, that like in great three-week tours, what an ability to recover. So he's got that physical constitution, but also he's got that um, psychological and emotional ability to cover each day. And, and I think about how that is, and I can't help thinking of someone like a Valverde as well. These guys who love to race, they just want to race. Julian Alaphilippe, Alejandro Valverde, uh, Alberto Contador, like they, the way they race, they shows a passion and you've got to want to be because you're telling me that there's not the potential for Peter Sagan to six stages into the Giro after he's done the tour and he's done the, he started the Giro two weeks after the tour. You can't tell me that there's a potential for him to think, oh, fuck, you know, I'm pretty tired. Like, oh, I'm, I'm Peter Sagan. 
I'm Peter Sagan. I've done it. I can't really see a stage that really suits me. Anymore. Demars, no one, will, no one will really criticise me. You know, I, I, it'll be you know, like I've, people understand if I don't really go. But no, he goes. Yeah. And that stage, that stage that he won that you said, I looked at the exact meter mark. He got in the break with 134 k's to go. And initially it was a big break. It was 20 people. And then it went down to smaller and smaller. And then there was about four or five short but super steep climbs at the end. And then he descended in the wet and soloed to victory. There was 2,000 metres of climbing that day, which isn't a heap, but a lot of steep climbs. So he wins the stage. And guess what, mate? The next day, the next day after that, that victory after 12 months with all that shit, the next day he's second in the sprint. Like, <laughs> that is uncommon. Yeah. That. This Peter Sagan guy, don't worry about the victories, don't worry about the showmanship. Go deep inside his psyche. We don't know what he fucking thinks really, but think about how does someone do it like that? Yeah. That's what's incredible about that bloke. In my so opinion. almost non-victories, Scotty, are what makes him, are what makes Fuck him enough. so good. Without a shadow of a doubt, I did hear somewhere in that part of the stage he was mm. in the red zone, so mm. he was redlining it for thirty yeah. percent of it. So he was yeah. absolutely on the limit. Like he's a guy yeah. who wanted to win. His season's been affected more than anyone by mm. the COVID break. He couldn't get any momentum leading into the tour. It'd be interesting, and, and I'm putting up a mouth-watering proposition here. Mm. He gets his normal pre-season preparation, which everyone would be hoping for. Uncertain whether that. That will eventuate. No one knows what it's going to look like in the lead into the start of the season next year. Mm. He gets a proper preparation than he normally has. How are the matchups for the classics, the spring classics in 2021? Yeah. Van der Poel, yeah. Van Aert, Alaphilippe, Sagan, GVA back to full fitness. Here she, my God. Yeah. I reckon, yeah, it's the old guard and the new guard. Oh, I reckon. That just awesome. makes you drool, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 for sure. Hey, another thing in this Giro, Team Ineos, they've won five stages in 15. Mm. That's incredible. So after their relative failure at the Tour de France, where not winning the Tour de France is a failure. Of course, they got the great stage where Kwiatkowski and um, Carapaz crossed the line together. That was great. Good salvage. So they didn't go well at the Tour de France. Garrett Thomas, their main man, crashes out stage three. So it's like far out. Maybe Darth Brailsford had a few words to the team and said, righto, boys, you know, read between the lines. We need something here. And, yeah. um, you know, gold member Garner, he does the damage, not in one time trial, because that's what he does, not in two time trials, but also wins a climbing stage. I'll just win a climbing, climbing stage if you don't mind. Yeah, now. So, yeah. you know, that's where, of course, Team Unios, you've got to have, um, you've got to be well organised, but when you've got a good budget, it helps yep. a little bit. You've got to know how to use the money, but yeah, so they can continually buy really shit hot riders to be super domestic, hence the Mikhail Kwiatkowski situation. Gegenhart, I yeah. wouldn't put past Gegenhart to be right in the mix later this week we've still got as we're taping we've got some big mountain stages to come he could be a bit of a bolter as this week yep. goes on and there is a guy at mm. three minutes 29 by the name mm. of vincenzo nibali mm. yes that's right so normally i would think oh i reckon fuglesang and nibali you know they're older they're older the young guys are ripping it i would think oh, i don't like his chances but one one thing we know is he's exper- he's super experienced so he knows how to pace his efforts and that and he's not afraid to attack and he will launch on one of these stages these mountain stages he will launch early and have a fair income crack like it'll be fucking swashbuckling stuff mate further to that it'll be a real shitty weather yep. it could be snowing and he'll yep. have a go yeah he'll hope it's pissing down or snowing so that he can um he can descend and gain time on the descents too because you know how we saw in stage one of Tour de France when Astana attacked coming down the wet descent 
coming into Nice. Remember Team Astana and um, Superman can't trust Lopez. Them, Scotty can't trust those casts. You can't. You can't trust them. We want to trust them, but you can't trust them. Nah. So let's give up on them. Remember Superman Lopez. He was sort of hydro falling across the road in, into that sign. <laughs> So Nibbly does that. Nibbly does that. He can hide to fall in the wet, but he just keeps both his feet clipped into his pedals because that's how good he is descending. So he's going to have a crack. I looked at the stages left, mate. Look at this, Ross. So we've got Sage 16, 4,200 metres climbing. You know, that's a lot, but for these guys, that's just a sort of a normal solid mountain day. Then we get into the Giro mentality, right? You know how they just love to have a massive crack with these guys? The the design of the Utter filth. they love to have a crack when they're designing these. You know, if they could design a course that rode to the moon, high altitude, they would. <laughs> so stage 16, 4,200 metres vert. Stage 17, 6,000 metres, if you don't oh my mind. God. Oh, very next day, after you've had 10,000 metres in the last two days, very next day, stage 18, 6,300 metres, <laughs> back-to-back 6,000-metre days. Um, so they're almost Everesting on two days in a row. Then there's a flat stage where the breakaway will get away within um, 100 metres of the white flag going down because everyone else will be like, let's have a fucking rest. And then we go to stage 20, 5,400 metres of climbing. And then let's not have a procession into Milan. Stage 21, let's lay it on the line, time trial. Let's have a fucking TT, shall we? (laughs) So it's going to be on. That bloody, (laughs) that GC top 10 is going to be juggling like anything. There's people going to be jumping all sorts of places. And yeah, Nibali, who knows what he can do? Who knows with that type of situation? So if I felt a little bit of Giro guilt, because I did watch about bloody five or six stages, but if I felt a little bit of Giro guilt, not to worry. And anyone listening out there, don't worry about what you've missed because it's going to be on in the next five stages, on, starting from tomorrow. It's all been leading to this moment, ladies and gentlemen. So you haven't missed a thing. And look, if you do miss something, tune in to us and we'll set you straight on what's actually happened. Okay, we can can fucking set things right up for you. Mate, also, uh, La Vuelta starts tonight as we're taping this on a Tuesday. It's starting tonight, the 20th of October. If Jumbo Visma don't win this, then they'll disband as a team. They've got <laughs> a very, very promising team for this. Pretty much their TDF team, bar Wout Van Aert, Tony Martin, they're looking strong. Yeah. You would think that um, Primoz will be wanting to make it count, won't he? Yeah, he had that great Liège victory. And then you've got Froome, who today apparently said, you know, no, Carapaz is the leader. I'm, They're riding for the, the killer. Man. Yeah, so they're riding for the killer, which, you know, he'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I feel good now. I had the tour, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be ready. So, yeah, Roglic, Carapaz, Froome, who, anyone else that in the in the GC, that, you know, big names there? What about Quintana? Is he, is he having a crack in the Vuelta? I must I admit, look. I haven't had a look. Um, no, that's sort because of... of this dead schedule. We just we've been we've oh. run off our feet with racing. Well, we're running studios with you know six, seven television screens, and we're yeah. trying to you know we're trying that's to right. keep tabs on everything. There's only so much two elite podcasters can do, Scotty, and you that's know right. we'll get around to the Walter when we can. I've got one little tidbit, mm. some bike changes coming into 2021. <gasps> so, yeah. Jumbo yeah. Visma. Hey, before, we go, before we go there. Oh, sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go Jumbo ahead. Visma have gone to Cervelo. Sunweb, they've acquired Scott Bikes, who were with oh. Mitchell and Scott. Now, Mitchell and Scott have taken over from Jumbo Visma riding Bianchi's. So, there oh, you go. Yeah. That's a bit of a Robert Wall's um, uh, John Northey, you know, Brisbane Richmond <laughs> sp- sp- switch in the 90s. How's that for <laughs> a reference for you? It is. Absolutely. David Park and... and 
and uh, did he swap with Fitzroy and Carlton, David Parkin and Robbie Walls, Robert Walls again. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah shout out to shout out to our uh, listeners <laughs> in Greenland and uh, the United States and Michigan. You'd be all across Robert yeah. Walls and his coaching. That's right. That's and right. Look it up. It's look it up. You'll spend ten minutes finding it, and it'll be meaningless to you. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so sorry, bike swaps. Yeah, so which bike would you, I mean, which one would you be hoping to land if you were on a team? Oh, gee, I'd love to ride a Bianchi, Scotty. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. yeah really? Mind you, I also like riding an Avanti. Oh, that's right. You got the new bike. Got the new bike. What's going on there? Ah, uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Enjoying it. We're still just getting to know each other a little bit. As you know, I've progressed from um, holding hands with it to maybe a little bit of canoodling and um, some sort of light caressing of, of hair and kissing on the neck. So yeah, we're, we're right. becoming really familiar with each other and enjoying each other's company. Serious question. Going from that bike, your previous bike to that one, what are the main things? Of course, it's, you know, you're still getting the fit right, you know, your, your bar, position, saddle, all that sort of setup. But what are the main things you notice in the difference between the two bikes? Carbon wheels, which are just a magnificent roll. Got uh-huh. the Reynolds attack wheels. Uh, they're very nice roll. Of This one is a disc brake bike. I have ridden a disc brake bike once before, super on descents, obviously. This one, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's certainly worth the investment. So you mentioned the carbon wheels, the roll factor. So that means like we can expect big things up there in your region in the crosswinds, you know, where on the flats. Yeah. Is that what, is that what you're saying? Yeah, possibly. Um, if I can get in the right company, get the echelons right, hopefully. Right. get can... the right selection. Right <laughs> yeah. selection. Yeah, come on, boys, I need some help. That's... <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to sit out. Boys, I'm going to sit up. If you don't, buddy, pull, I'm going to sit up. <laughs> Whatever, Ross. There's a little rise up here. We're about to spit you out the back. Yeah, yeah. So I'll see you when we're getting a coffee. Yeah, that sort of setup. You'd be able to put up on the half wheel and Instagram. I think it, the the listeners deserve a bit of a visual representation of your bike. We need th- to see what it looks like. So I think it's time, it isn't it? I think it's time yeah. for us to almost uh, good, for us both to introduce our bikes, Scotty. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. my new Avanti and and your Giant, which has its own personality and you know qualities about it. It's time better. for the people to meet our better halves. That's, yeah, shit, yeah. Because who doesn't like? showing a bike and looking at someone else's bike. I, don't, I rarely get envious about people's bikes. I just like looking at them. So, yeah, yeah the old new bike day or what the ride you've got is, it's a great, great part of it all, isn't it? Surely you've got to have a bike that you like the look of. Like, for me, I don't want to be a complete showboat, you know, from an aesthetics point of view, but I've I got to like the look of my bike. I've got to like the look of because that motivates me to get on and ride it. Yeah. Got to be honest. If I had an ugly bike, like some of the bikes in the Pro Peloton are fast, obviously, but they're ugly. And I'm like, again, I don't I have to be that full accountable to absolute performance, but yeah, I want a bike that sort of, you know, calls out a bit to me and come on, let's go, let's ride. Well, you're right. And it's one of those things that why would you dismiss it and say, well, it doesn't really matter what it looks like as long as it goes, okay, bullshit. It's yeah, got to be right. beautiful and it's got to be something right. that you're attracted to. And Oh, it's uh, – is it getting hot in your studio? I'm just starting to, starting to sheen up a little bit here. Oh, are we still broadcasting, are we? Oh, okay. um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, life's too short to write shit bikes. Yep. And um, I've gone with the Taiwan-based mega company brand, Giant. Yep. And uh, that and that can be a quite a provocative sort of uh, brand for a lot of people in cycling. But I've got I've got my own you know rationale behind it, and maybe we can talk about that another time. But yeah. uh, just for all the listeners' benefit, I have seen yep. your bike, and it oozes sex appeal. It yeah, does. It yeah, really does. Exactly. Hence its name, which we'll, I reckon we should cover that maybe next <laughs> We'll episode. cover that up. That'll be a segment for us in episode eight. 
Yeah, so well, let's get your bike up there anyway because I saw it and, yeah, it's it's like it's good. Our private investigation team, they've dug up a little bit of uh, evidence from the Giro. Ooh, do yeah. tell. So you know how um, Fuglesang had a crack at Vincenzo Nibali for riding off uh, when, you know, he had that, yes. what was it, when mechanical or something? He yes. cracked the shits. Yep. You know, so they all sort of went back and forth a little bit. I don't think Nibali gives a shit about Fuglesang at all, but, you know, they had a bit of, they spoke to each other through the press. So Fuglesang writes for Astana, and we know you can't trust Astana, can you? Just, no, you can't you, trust the bastards. Yeah, can't trust them. So anyway, it turns out, that while Fuglesang was arguing on behalf of Stana with Nibali, it was just a ruse because what happened was it's been discovered that Astana laced Stephen Kreisreich's organic carbon interface coat hanger. Which you would have, was everyone what, would have seen that on our Instagram profile. That's indeed intense operations to get that right. Yeah, because Stephen Kreisreich had a coat hanger put in his shoulders, hence the square-shouldered appearance. It broke. Um, he had a new one put in for uh, the Dauphiné this year, and that was an organic carbon interface, so like an intelligent fibre that integrated into his whole system. Anyway, it turns out that Astana laced that with, with a poison, and that's what got Cruz work out of the Giro, not coronavirus. And here's where it gets really tricky. Kreisweich is a wise rider. He's been in the peloton for a while. He had a sense that this would be coming. So he had some people, and this is all our private investigation team, he had some people plant some slow-acting puncher substance in Fuglesan's wheel, who rides for Astana, and that's when he got the, the puncher on the climb the other day, and he lost all that time. Wow. So, you know, this is high drama, high stakes, high drama. Um, well, you know, there may have been some people who, oh, just a small minority of our followers who may have thought we're perhaps being a little bit tough on Astana and maybe sort of targeting. No, you can't bit. trust them. But this is you further evidence them. that you cannot trust the bastards. So right. You cannot trust them. Yeah, yep. look, they will be brought undone at some point. When that is, I'm not sure. But if we can contribute in some way to bringing that bring Astana pro cycling team, we will we'll bring them That's down. Right. Just like they bring down the Berlin Wall, we will bring down Astana. <laughs> Just watch us. <laughs> hey, Scotty, thanks, mate. It's yeah. been bloody awesome again. I look forward to catching up in episode eight. We'll have, yeah. well, like we have for every other episode, we'll have plenty to talk about, and I'll look forward to it then. If you're listening, get on, give us a rate, subscribe, like, do all whatever you have to do to bump us up, and uh, hopefully we can get some more coverage out there and, and get the message out there. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for listening. Good on you, Ross. Thanks, mate. Catch up. See ya.